Our first Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 22 through 36. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, as we consider your word, what we ask is that we would, on the one hand, understand concepts. Um, We want to think clearly, accurately. Uh, We don't want to be gullible. We don't want to believe things that aren't true. We don't want to be silly. And at the same time, we also want to deeply receive the realities of these ideas. We want, in other words, not only to hear about you, but to meet you. We want to know you. So by your Holy Spirit, will you do all things necessary to grant us to truly, deeply, finally know you and taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and it's helpful if you turn back to page 8 and 9. This is the last Sunday at Advent, and uh, we are looking and continuing our series in the book of Exodus uh, today. And what we need to talk about today is, on the one hand, Advent, and on the other hand, Sabbath. Now, um, just real quick, what do those words mean? Um, Well, if you've been with us uh, the last few weeks, you'll know that Advent means arrival. Uh, And it speaks of the arrival of God. Uh, And in a deep way, you could say that the entirety of the Bible, you you can sum up the whole of the story of the Bible, that the Bible is a story about how God breaks into and arrives in this world. 
So that it's not just that Christians believe that God exists somewhere out there, it's that Christians more boldly believe that God, who exists out there, has broken in and has engaged our story, has broken into our story, and gathered our story into his. Uh, and that's why we talk about God's Advent arrival. And we talk about that just before Christmas, Advent. But on the other hand, we're also going to talk about Sabbath today. And Sabbath is about rest. Um, in our reading today, uh, particularly the, or the first reading, God commands Israel to rest. Uh, take a Sabbath. No work allowed. Which sounds nice, does it not? It was kind of God. Um, however, what we're going to see is that Sabbath is not just a day off. In fact, you could have a day off. You could have lots of days off. Um, you could take a whole vacation. In fact, you could, you could retire at age 35 um, and never work again. And never, despite all of that time off, you could, it's possible to have all that time off and never experience Sabbath rest. Sabbath is something that's deeper. Sabbath refers not simply to a day off. It refers to a holy rest in the presence of God. What in the world does that mean? Well, we're, we're going to talk about it. But it's very important because just like we could say that the entirety of the Bible could be described as God breaking into this world and adventing into this world, on the other hand, we could say that the whole Bible is about how God breaks into our world in order to give rest, in order to give Sabbath, in order to give a deep rest in his presence that we need but can never achieve on our own. So we're going to talk about those two concepts, and here's what I want to show you. Advent gives Sabbath. Let me explain, and let's get into the story. Now, remember where we're at in the story. So uh, Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and in, when they were slaves, they had no power. Um, as slaves, all they could do was work. However, uh, there's a way in which their work and their labor uh, was, you know, in a way, it's the only thing they had going for them. Uh, when you're a slave, your work is the only thing that really gives you value. So if you produce a lot, you're more valuable. And if you produce less, you're less valuable. Now, even as I say that, hit, hit the pause button for just a second. That's how slavery works, right? Does that sound familiar, though? You know what I mean? You can get paid for your work. It's possible to get paid for your work, but nevertheless, at the same time, to be deeply enslaved by it, nevertheless. Not literally, but figuratively. And one of the issues that you got to think about that is this. How closely do you tie your personal value to, your, to what you produce? And how closely is it tied for those around you? I'm just going to let that question float for a second, but, but unpause. Back, back to the story. So Israel is enslaved, um, but then God's advent happens. We don't usually call it advent. We call it the exodus, but nevertheless, it is an advent of God. God arrives, breaks into the story, and God breaks in in order to liberate Israel. 
Israel contributes nothing. They're not expecting God to break in. They're not even sure they still believe in the God of their ancestors. But nevertheless, God does all the heavy lifting, breaks into their story, rescues them out of Israel, out of Egypt. And one of the interesting things there is that for all of Israel's memory, they have been working for somebody else, but no one has ever worked for them. But now in, this, in the Exodus and in the, this advent of God, a little advent, God breaks into the story and God works on behalf of Israel. And Israel basically just watches. And then God takes them into the desert and God still keeps working for Israel. Every single day, God gives them bread, manna. Every single day, God gives them water. God's advent, God's arrival, watch this theme, it's going to be important, God serves Israel, and Israel receives God's work. That's the pattern. But now we pick up the story in our reading. And I said just a minute ago that God uh, provides bread every single day for Israel, which is not quite right, right? Um, God gives them bread six days out of seven, but on one day he gives them double the amount of bread, manna, so that on the next day, on the seventh day, Israel can have a Sabbath, a Sabbath rest. Israel can have a day where they rest. They don't do any work. They don't even do the work of collecting bread that has been produced by somebody else. They just completely stay indoors. And it's a day where they rest. And on the other hand, it's a day where God rests as well. Now, here's my question. Why do you think... God insists on Sabbath. Notice, it's not that God says, hey, you know what, Israel, would you like a day off? You look, like, tired. You need a day off. Take a day off. That's not what God says. What God says is, take the day off. What are you doing not taking the day off? Take the day off. It's a command. Do you notice that? Why? And one of the things that's interesting here is that God, at this point in the story, has not given the law. The Ten Commandments haven't happened yet. That's about, that's a few weeks away. So before the law ever happens, before the Ten Commandments are given, one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath, but before that happens, God insists on, that Israel keep the Sabbath. Why? And then a closely related question. Why does Israel struggle so much to obey it? Do you notice? They get up and they go out and they try to work when they're not supposed to and God gets mad. Why? Why is it that Israel simply cannot deeply rest? All right. To answer that question, we need to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Do you remember uh, the story of creation in Genesis? So, um, question. Do you remember how many days does God take to create the world in Genesis? Anybody remember? Oh, you're very clever. I was hoping for seven. It, usually we say in seven days God created the world, but that's a trick question. Actually, God got all the work done. He was very efficient. Got all the work done in six days. And then the seventh day of creation, God rests. God takes a Sabbath. Now, when God takes a Sabbath, it is not a work-life balance thing. Okay? Um, that's a Saturday. That's great. That's not what God was doing when he took Sabbath. It's not that God was tired. It's not that he needed to sleep in. God rested 
in order to enjoy his creation. And here's another way to think about it. Imagine an ancient temple. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about an ancient temple, but whatever it is, conjure it up. Now, in an ancient temple, uh, the ancient temple, the, the whole idea is that it was a place, not just where people could meet, that's what we're doing in this room, but in an ancient temple, the idea is it's where the deity's presence could rest and dwell so that you could know where to go if you wanted to meet with the deity that you were worshiping or you needed help from or whatever it is. Now, that's part, of, that's part of the idea that happens in the creation story. So God gets all the work done in six days, and then on the seventh day, God rests in his creation. His presence dwells there. And it's a little bit like God saying, I am not somebody who's going to fit inside a single building. No, rather, I have created all of the universe in order that all of it might be my temple. My presence is going to rest palpably, like a temple throughout the entirety of the world. So the idea was that this entire created world was a place, was designed to be a place where humanity and God could enjoy each other, where humanity and God could live together or rest together in perfect intimacy with each other. And according to Genesis, that is central to God's overarching aim for all of creation. In this uh, Genesis story, it's the culminating moment is not simply when God creates humanity in his own image. It's really, really good, but it's not the culmination. It's not the culminating moment. The culminating moment is when God's presence rests on the Sabbath with God's people and with all of God's creation. And then one more thing from the creation story. Humanity also still had work to do. Do you remember that? There's Sabbath, but then there's also work that comes out of Sabbath. So Adam and Eve, were, had, they were given jobs. They were supposed to be gardeners or conservationists or farmers, however you want to describe it. God liked work. He gave them work before the fall. However, their work is different from our work. Because Adam and Eve's work was animated, motivated, and driven out of their Sabbath rest with God. God had done all the real heavy lifting. God had done all the real work. Adam and Eve rest in God's work, rest in God's presence. And then that rest doesn't make them lazy. It doesn't um, make them just kind of want to sit around all day and do nothing. It doesn't even make them want to retire. It drives them out. It does the opposite. It makes them uh, want to go out and serve God actively in healthy, joyful, renewing kind of way. Sabbath doesn't make us lazy. Resting in God's presence actually motivates us to want to go out and serve him well. It's a little bit like this. Uh, imagine two kids, just hypothetical illustration here. Imagine two kids. One kid grows up in a really nurturing, loving environment. The, another kid grows up in the opposite, a really toxic environment. Which environment is more likely to uh, prepare the child to engage the world in an active, healthy way? It's going to be the home that is more nurturing, that's more uh, healthy, more loving. Right? I think. Uh, and part of the point is this, intimacy and security 
and love, those things do not paralyze us. Intimacy, security, and love, those things do not make us lazy or inactive. Intimacy and security and love motivate us, give us energy, motivate us to go out and live life to the full. And that was God's plan in the original creation. We were designed to rest in God's work. God's work is, has the capital letters. And the more we rest in God's work and in his presence, the more we enjoy that uh, intimacy and security and love, the more we will be motivated, and this is the way it was supposed to work with Adam and Eve, motivated to go out and obey the Lord in creative work in joyful obedience. Now, keep all that in your mind and come back to Exodus. Why does God insist, not just suggest, insist on Sabbath right after Israel comes out of Egypt? Well, God created the world to enjoy Sabbath with his people. And God redeemed Israel and liberated them in order to enjoy Sabbath with them. God's aim, the culmination of, uh, of Israel's liberation from slavery was not just political liberation, important as that was, and it's an in, it's a indispensable part of it. But God rescued Israel, brought them out of Egypt, and advented into Israel's story in order to bring them to a place where they can enjoy Sabbath rest with God. In other words, God rescued Israel so that Israel could rest with God in his presence, so that Israel could experience the intimacy and the security and the love that they were created for, but that they had never tasted and never even dreamt of in the midst of their previous slavery. That's why God is so insistent upon Sabbath. But on the other hand, the other question is, why is it that Israel struggles so much to do something as simple as rest? Look back at the text. They gather bread for six days. Then the Sabbath comes. But a bunch of them can't stop working. A bunch of them, though they had double the, the, the resources, nevertheless, they go out and they look for bread the next day. And God says, why don't you obey me? Why can't Israel rest? And this is where we need to lean in because there's something very subtle here, okay? Israel cannot trust God's word. You can see this again and again, but this is where we're looking at it now. Israel struggles deeply. They're very suspicious. They can't trust God's promise to provide. And another way to say that is that Israel's uh, instinct and orientation is to rely upon their own work rather than upon God's work. They put their work first. And that may seem like a small issue. Well, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, is it that? And actually, it's a, it's a big, big deal. Why do I say that? Well, sin in the Bible is always a kind of Sabbath breaking. What do I mean by that? Well, think about the Garden of Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve enjoy Sabbath, intimate uh, uh, rest in God's presence. They enjoy that right up until the point that they stop relying upon God's work and they start relying upon their own work. 
you remember what happened? Um, they're, they're tempted to eat from the tree that they're not supposed to. It's just one tree, all the other trees that they can eat from, all the other trees God is working to produce for them. But God says, there's one tree, I don't want you to touch it, or I don't want you to eat from it because it belongs to me. But nevertheless, what happens is Adam and Eve look at that one tree that they're not supposed to eat from and they decide God's work is not enough for me. God's work is not sufficient to provide what I need. And therefore, they, they work. They work when they're not supposed to. They reach out their hand and they grab and they harvest, so to speak, that one fruit that they're not supposed to. And in doing that, what they were doing is they were inverting Sabbath. They were taking their work and putting it on top above God's work. Sabbath or Sin is always a kind of Sabbath breaking. Let me say it differently. Sabbath is when God's work leads to our rest and a deep enjoyment of his presence, which in turn leads us out to obey him. Our work comes second. But sin turns that around and says, God's work is not enough for me. It's my work that really matters. And it results in a breaking of relationship with God, but it also transforms the work that we try to perform subsequently. Instead of our work being a joyful response to God's love and intimacy and security, what our work turns into in sin is it turns into toil and it never ends. Why does sin lead to toil? Because when my work is the work that really matters, then what happens is that my value gets tethered to my production and we can never produce enough to persuade ourselves and others that we're really valuable. And therefore, we end up working like slaves. We end up, we might get paid a lot, but nevertheless, we work and our souls have a soul posture of slavery. We are working continuously and we're never satisfied and we're always working thinking that if I get this next promotion or if I get that final paycheck or if I finally get my retirement sorted then finally I get my vacation then I'll be able to rest then it'll be okay then I'll finally know that I've arrived and success will happen and I'll get on the cover of whatever magazine or something like that but it never happens even when you get those things it never stops and it doesn't matter how many days off you have. It doesn't matter how much vacation you take. It doesn't matter how long your Christmas holidays are. None of that matters. We never are able to rest even when we're not on the clock because we're always on the clock. Why did days off never quite cut it? Because we weren't made for days off. We were made for God. St. Augustine said, our hearts are made for God and they are restless until they find their rest in him. Can you feel the restlessness of the human soul? And it plays out on a lot of different levels. So there's the religious version, which is a self-righteous person. What's a self-righteous person besides a jerk? Um, a self-righteous person is somebody who prioritizes my religious work above God's work. My value is tied to my religious performance, and therefore it's not about trusting God, it's about trusting me. It's about me and my performance, because if I do real good, then I'll know I'm valuable, or at least I'm going to be better than a few other people that I can look at. 
The one religious duty that a self-righteous person can never fulfill is Sabbath. You can never rest. Or think about a, a, a leader, a leader who is corrupt in one way or the other. What is it that makes bad leaders? What makes them bad? Well, lots of things. But, but one is this. Very often there's this kind of... Uh, 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 restless need to, to, to get position and to hold on to position, authority, whatever it is, power. Because if I get that position, and if I hold on to that position, then, uh, then I'll know I'm okay. But the problem is that restlessness, that anxiety, that drive, that toil can end up undermining the commitment to others, the commitment to service, that that a good leader is always committed to, and therefore you can end up with somebody who's able to justify a lot of terrible things. And there's a restlessness. Or a workaholic. Why is it that we're so desperately afraid of failure? Why is it that we're so addicted to our work? It's the same thing. Our worth is tethered to our production, and therefore I'll know I'm okay when I succeed, so I better succeed. And even if you get it all, you're never at rest. What I'm trying to say is that all these things are just variations on a theme. We're restless because we were not made to trust in our own work. We were made to be defined by God's work. And that's why, bringing back to our text, that's why God insists on Sabbath for Israel. Sab Israel's Sabbath was intended to be a real ritual. A real ritual, a good one is an action that's animated by a deeper meeting. So that Israel was supposed to abstain from work precisely, not just because a day off was what they needed, though that was great, but what they, it was meant to allow them to refocus and reorient their lives to see God's work as primary, their work as a response to God's work, and as they refocused on God, they could enjoy his presence that intimacy and that security and that love that then moves them out back for the rest of the week to obey God with joy. So here's my question, Emmanuel. Which one describes your life? Do you know rest? Do you know Sabbath rest? Or are you, like Israel, struggling to trust in God's work? Because Israel never really entirely gets it. <clears throat> they get better at it at different points, but, but it, because they need more than a day off, what they need is a deeper advent, a bigger advent. That's what we need, too. Creation was an advent where God created the universe and then rested with, the with the, his creation. Exodus was an advent where God breaks into the story and rescues Israel and then rests with them in the desert. But we need a deeper, bigger advent. An advent that can liberate us from our sinful reliance upon self and our enslavement to our own performance. And that's why we need the gospel reading. Flip over to it. Because that's the bigger advent. And watch the pattern there. Here in this story, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mention Sabbath, but in a way it's all about Sabbath because God does all the heavy lifting here. 
Mary is a virgin. Joseph sitting there really confused about the whole situation, understandably. And God advents in. God breaks into their lives. And Mary, this young woman, this virgin becomes the mother of Christ. Christ, who is fully God and fully human. God in person, arriving and adventing into the world and into Mary's womb. And Joseph, who's troubled and confused, but nevertheless, God says, Joseph, you're going to have to trust me on this one. This baby is going to be the Savior, your Savior. This baby, in other words, is going to do all the heavy lifting and all the work required for the world to know the rest and the deep Sabbath that was the aim at the beginning. And remarkably, both Mary and, and Joseph trust in the Lord's work and not their own. And then the remarkable thing happens. It's just like God's presence entered the garden and rested on the seventh day of creation. So the Son of God enters Mary's womb and rests with his people. It's remarkable. You know, Mary's womb, in a way, is like a new Eden. She's like a walking Sabbath rest. Because there, in her body, she was bearing Emmanuel, God with us. So that God and God's people are resting together in intimacy and security and in love. And do you notice how it transforms Mary and Joseph? They, they obey. And they don't obey out of toil. They obey joyfully. They're not restless. They're looking away from their work to God's work. It's God's work and God's advent that then enables them to obey with joy. And that's why I say Advent leads to Sabbath. And what that means is this, Emmanuel. If you do not know deep, profound Sabbath rest, then it means you need Advent. Mary gave birth to Jesus, and Jesus grew up, and Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again. And when Jesus died, he was working for you. When Jesus died, he was serving you. He became almost, he became a servant to the point of death. And he did all of that to liberate you from your sin and from your addiction to your own work. And now Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit upon us so that just as God's presence rested in creation on the seventh day and just as God's presence rested with Israel in the desert and just as God's presence rested with Mary in her womb, so now by the Holy Spirit, Christ can dwell in our hearts by faith. Jesus came to give us Sabbath. And that is the Advent that we all need. Not just an Advent that was long ago, but an Advent that is right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So are you restless? And if you are, there's a part of me that wants to say that's a good thing. The Lord is kind to you, did not let you rest until you rest in him. The Lord will give you the gift of restlessness. He will not let you rest. He will chase you. He will pursue you. In his love and in his kindness, he will keep after you because your soul was made only for him and for no other. The Lord Jesus Christ is adventing in pursuit of you now. 
So turn and renounce your self-reliance. It's more than a day off. Take that. But look to him away from your self-reliance and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ who did all the work necessary for your eternal rest. And there, in his intimacy and security and love, you will know the Sabbath for which you were created but have never tasted. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.